It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Two more hours to go. Catch us on 92.7 FM. Also the WFNZ app as well. So we don't have Mike Renner. Something came up. After covering the Senior Bowl, we were going to talk to him a little bit about that surrounding the Carolina Panthers, what kind of prospects might be interesting down there at the Senior Bowl. But we're not going to have Mike Renner on, so uh, we will instead go to 2 o'clock where we'll have Joe Ovius. That'll be the only guest here today, 99.9 The Fan up in Raleigh. He'll talk a little bit more about that Carolina and Duke game. And then coming up next, we'll discuss the Charlotte Hornets losing twice over the weekend and what we can expect here on deadline week where the trade deadline across the NBA will be happening on February 9th. So if we look at the Carolina Panthers here, Wes, we were discussing a little bit of what Ajero Avero would bring as a defensive coordinator hire. We were discussing the coaching staff and just how highly anticipated it's going to be. The thing is, it's interesting because here's Frank Reich as the offensive mind. I, I want a smart offensive mind to work alongside him. I mean, mm-hmm. no doubt about that. But it's going to be tough for anybody to live up to the hype that Avero has, right? Like on the offensive side. Because even as much as I like Jim Bob Cooter as the offensive coordinator, if that is indeed what happens, and yes, the name is phenomenal, we haven't seen... We're not picking him up when he's hot, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. And and we've seen that before. We saw it in Detroit. He does have quite a bit of experience with a lot of smart offensive minds. But but this is the one that I think people are really excited about to see Avero come here to Carolina and then work with a unit that you've invested in heavily over the last few seasons, being the team, the first one in NFL history to spend seven different draft picks all on one side of the ball. Yeah, and there's a lot there for him to work with, and I'm sure that he saw a lot of potential. Now, we also talked about the bag that may have been thrown his way as well that was also very persuasive for him as well. But just as far as on the surface, I'm sure that he also just didn't take the money and run, so to speak. He wanted to look and make sure that he had the pieces to be able to do some things. And I think he looked at a Brian Burns. He looked at a Derek Brown. He looked at uh, J.C. Horn and some of those other guys, and he said, hey, you know, I can work with this and make this into a unit with some tweaks that could really become – one of the league's best. Um, we know that a lot of times the Panthers defense would be playing well, but then, you know, you can't be on the field all day. And sometimes that offense would have them on the field all day because right. they couldn't get the records at points or stay on the field long enough. So you have to account for some of that as well. So I think that he likes what he saw. I think there's some, some uh, additions that he knows that he can make to bring some of them as well. And I think sometimes when you look at it just on the surface today, before he even gets here, who do you think or do you have in mind, maybe I'll, I'll even give you a top two of who he may benefit the most? Of the players that Avero would benefit the most on yes. the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, I think Brian Burns is somebody that I'm really excited about. And I'll go to J.C. Horn, your boy, mm-hmm. also being someone <laughs> that I think he'll benefit the most. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. A lot of the comparisons we've had with the debate that surrounds J.C. Horn has been – 
the other cornerback that Avero coached over in Denver, and that's Patrick Sertan, who is highly regarded and absolutely should be. And Patrick Sertan was the second cornerback drafted. J.C. Horn was the first defensive player drafted within that selection process, and then right behind him, Pat Sertan went. And it was always going to be between those two guys as to who the first cornerback was. And I would say, for the most part, Sertan has outperformed. I know you would say for the whole part, but I would say for the most part, Pat Sertan (laughs) has outperformed what J.C. Horn has done, but I still love J.C. Horn, especially within this offense. And if he's a safety coach, right? Like, you are bringing somebody in... Even if you lose a defensive back-minded guy with Steve Wilkes, who did a great job with Thieves Avenue back in 2015, you're bringing in someone else who also is of that same ilk, of having a lot of defensive backs out there on the field at one time. Working with a top-notch cornerback, now you get one, in my opinion, with J.C., and also having a really nice pass rusher with one Brian Burns. So, to me, I'm going to give you the easy answers. I I think it's the two potential stars, the stars – depending on how you view them, those are the guys I'm going to go with as far as who benefits most from bringing in a guy like an Avero who is highly coveted across the National Football League. Yeah, I think you look at the guys and immediately you would have to point to a guy like a J.C. Horn because when you look at what he did with Patrick Sartain, who had the number two coverage grade according to PFF, and also we saw him at that number one spot on that NFLPA uh, all-players team as well, all-pro team as well. So you would like to think that For him to be able to come in and work with him, having experience working with another corner. And also when you look uh, at Evero's background in his stop before that with the Rams, him working with that secondary and the safeties there, but still worked with the defensive backs, working with guys like Jalen Ramsey. And he uh, boosted that secondary to having franchise record type of seasons or really, really highly regarded seasons throughout the franchise's history with interceptions and turnovers and things of that nature. So if you look at just where Avero comes from, you know, you're you're talking about some uh, time in the NFL at the age of 26. That's the first break, according to pro football reference that he has. He's defensive quality control coach for three years with Tampa Bay. Then he goes to actually the uh, to the D3 level, comes back with your San Francisco 49 as an assistant, offensive assistant for a couple of years, then defensive assistant for a couple of years. Goes to Green Bay, defensive quality control there in 2016 at the age of 35. Then with the Rams, he is the safeties coach for four consecutive seasons, then moves up to being the defensive passing game coordinator secondary, finally before being the D.C., Point being, he's held a lot of different titles. He's bounced around quite a bit in his young age within the NFL. And now here he is, the first shot that he gets to call plays for a defense. He does an excellent job. Now, you have a lot of talent on that side of the ball over there with Denver, too. I mean, they were loaded. But remember, you also trade a valued pass rusher and Bradley Chubb for picks that aren't going to help you right then and there. And they still were able to succeed at a very high level. The reason Denver was not successful overall is because the offense was absolutely atrocious. Russell Wilson gave us by far his worst season in the NFL to this point. It wasn't because of what they were doing defensively. And so the fact that you have that guy, that's what allows you to feel comfortable about this hire. I have another question, though, with Sean Payton coming in. Because Denver, they trade for one of the better coaches that we have seen over the last two decades. Mm -hmm. Has a Super Bowl, worked with a successful offense year in and year out with Drew Brees. So they decide that it's worth the juice, the squeeze is, in order to go get Sean Payton. Does it mean anything that Sean Payton wasn't trying to retain Ajero Avero? 
Does that mean anything at all to you? Or do you think Averro, as reported, just wanted a fresh start, wanted to move on from Denver and then found a different home in Carolina? Is there anything to make out of that? Or are you cool? There's really no funny business going on. I mean, if, if Peyton didn't want him, I mean, to me, it tells me that he just had a guy that he wanted. And just mind. to be safe real quick, I don't know that he didn't want him. I, I just haven't seen any okay. reports about him, you know, fighting for him, if you will, yeah. and Averro decided well, that he wanted something we can just different. play hypotheticals. Right. We like to do that a lot in radio. So <laughs> if he didn't want him or, you know, didn't feel like the pursuit was worth it, then it just says to me that Peyton already kind of has his network of guys that he wanted to have. You know, he might go get his boy, old Greg Williams, old Bounty. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, <laughs> but no, so I, I think that it wouldn't really say much to me. You know, like I said, I just think that Peyton had his guys that he wanted. And, uh, but Evero, like I said, from everything you read, he's so highly regarded from people, you know, inside the football world and out. Well, and, and what to me, I, it's, it's funny because Minnesota was the favorite to land Evero. That defense was awful this year. And especially their passing defense, even with having Patrick Peterson, who was graded very highly a part of pro football focus, yeah. you know, doing a pretty good job. It was everybody else outside of a twilight awesome season from the veteran that is Patrick Peterson. If he would have went to Minnesota and then revamped that defense or made them respectable, possibly top 10 or whatever, that would have been like, OK, there's no denying this guy's chops with Carolina. Not that you would with Carolina if you do it in two different situations then I'm extremely excited for that potential. But Carolina actually has better pieces to work with here than Minnesota, and they've got some good pass rushers up with the Vikings for sure. But with Carolina, I think you have at least some foundational player at every level of the defense, right? So defensive line, Derek Brown, Brian Burns, cool. Linebacking core, you need help. That's probably the position you need help with most, Concern, uh, concerning all the defensive positions, but Frankie Louvu, awesome this year. And then you go to the secondary. You have J.C. Horn, Jeremy Chin, kind of a wild card. We'll see if he ever lives up to the hype that allowed him to get second place in defensive rookie of the year voting. But you have those wild cards. You have potential. You have just outright stars at this point. And I think that's why Carolina was probably more attractive than Minnesota and maybe some of the other options. Either. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. Why would you go somewhere where you feel like you're not going to be successful or as well? the time frame we we talked about and like I said not trying to put a, a damper on it but this is a guy that you can't possibly expect to be here for a long time as a defensive coordinator so he wants to step in be able to make an immediate impact be able to have a defense that can rank statistically fairly high because like I said he doesn't have time to sit there and build a defense over a three to five year span he's like no I'm going to get in here now we're going to shore up some of the things that need to be shored up. And then I'm going to get this thing cracking before I probably get a head coaching job somewhere else. And I think uh, that's another aspect to this as well. It's going to be interesting to see what type of additions that they want to make. Because to me, this is a win now move. Like this is a move that you're saying, OK, we know we're not going to have this guy for long. Whatever offensive coordinator we may get. We may not have them as long, so we've got to get the job done right now, get the requisite pieces in there. So I think that says a lot as to where the Panthers are uh, leaning as far as how they feel about next season and the season after. Well, it, what's interesting, too, about this coaching staff and some of these hires, these are not 
promotions to a couple of these candidates we've yeah. already seen. So this is not a promotion for Jero Averro. And also some somebody we haven't mentioned, which we should right here, is Deuce Staley coming aboard, right? Mm-hmm. And Detroit, so apparently Deuce Staley, uh, his mom is undergoing some health conditions right now, and he feels it pertinent to be at home as close as he possibly can. We know about his South Carolina ties here in this area. And so clearly Carolina would be the closest option. And Carolina is revamping a coaching staff that welcomes a coach as celebrated as Deuce Staley as much as possible. But this is also someone that isn't promoted to any kind of different role here. You're stealing what is a great coach from Detroit with, of course, the Lions showing a lot of class as well, saying, hey, yeah, no big deal. Deuce, do what you got to do. What's right for your family and your football system? situation and then you go get a Vero as well I think that's why you really like what you're getting because it you almost mitigate the risk I'd be cool with promoting these guys into some kind of higher role a Vero you would have hired him as a head coach wasn't getting serious play in my opinion yeah but it's not like I would have looked at this and said oh good god this is awful I wouldn't have said that if you would have hired him as a head coach but defensive coordinator, we've seen success in that very role. Now you bring Deuce Staley in as a running back coach who allowed y'all's boy Jamal Williams to score all those touchdowns, but also I think do a good job just overall with the run game, right? Like those are some talented running backs they're working with. And Deuce Staley, you're bringing him in the same exact role. And so that's what I like about Carolina. There's no risk involved here. You're getting guys that have shown a resume. Hey, I can be successful doing this exact same thing here, just like I did in the previous stop yeah and i think also reich knows too you know this is his second job so he's got to make it count if he doesn't make this one work there won't be another head coaching opportunity so i think he wants to have the best staff that he can have on hand to help him and so he's doing a great job with that uh as i said evro is a really big get and i just can't wait to see what he'll do with this defense well and it's why it's why sure all these coaches are going to do their homework on any coaching staff you want to go after but if you have david tepper you 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 cross over a fine line when okay do you want him to meddle does that mean even if he's going after what are clearly celebrated coordinators and position coaches you know and he might want them it's not like he's doing, you know, anything crazy against the grain when everybody wants these guys. So if he's willing to open up the checkbook and give them a lot of money compared to what other NFL teams are doing, my point being, if you're Frank Reich, it's like, oh, okay, yeah. You want me to take this successful coach? Okay. <laughs> like, oh, I've the part of this that helps too, where there's some overlap and and the Venn diagram inter, uh, intersects is the fact that Frank Reich actually has some really smart offensive assistants out there that are coveted too, that have worked with Frank Reich. So just kind of interesting how all this is coming together as we have a highly anticipated staff going into next season, offensive coordinator, the only uh, spot that they don't have right now among the three coordinator spots, they're retaining Chris Tabor reportedly. They're bringing in a Jero Averro. And, and that's huge as well. Yeah. Oh, retaining yeah, the guys that they did. Yeah, and then even a James Campen. You're right. I we you're right. Like this coaching staff, it's shaken up to be an awesome staff it really under is. Frank Reich. And yep. so hopefully it can all play out on the field as we hope it will as Carolina Panthers fans. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back and talk a little bit more about the Charlotte Hornets and how they'll operate at the trade deadline. Did anything that happened this weekend affect how they might operate? It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio, ninety two seven WFNZ.
The Wesson Walker Show is back. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. You can hit us up on the text line, Garage go- garage Door Guru text line, 704-570-9610. You can also follow us on Twitter, Wesson Walker, W-E-S-A-N-D-W-A-L-K-E-R. I took care of that, Walker, so you didn't have to. I think you hate spelling on air. Hit that follow button, folks. Get us up there, man. We're trying to get to 1,000. Let's get us to 1,000. There's got to be 1,000 people out there that love this show, right? I, I think so, and if not, just, just follow, just right. to do us a solid. We feel like the uh, the entertainment and uh, recording stars when they have all these followers but then put their albums out and only sell 5,000 and like wait a minute I have 200 million Twitter you followers there's, there, there's a lot of bots that aren't spending money on our albums <laughs> right yeah yeah, yeah yeah I, I don't care honestly bots if you want to that's fine they'll we'll take that as well yeah, I we'll, get a bunch of those I saw you <laughs> complaining about that one time as well right me on bots Didn't, I don't think so you never I thought I saw a tweet that you said or then, that might have been somebody else that was talking about um, was it a former Duke Blue Devil that looked just might have like been me? probably probably so, Kyle Filipowski or something <laughs> like that <laughs> don't right. say Kyle Singler just 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 give me the Filipowski Kyle. Just don't give me the Singler Kyle. All right, but no bots are suiting up for the Charlotte Hornets, though. They don't have any artificial intelligence players uh, playing I'd love to them. have some robots suit up. That'd be awesome. <laughs> they lose twice over the weekend, lose to the Orlando Magic. They always seem to have the Hornets number. But uh, talking about trade deadlines coming up this week, but first off, Melo had a monster game last night. Uh, he played well, one of his better games in quite some time. He was on one, as the kids like to say. He had 33 points, six threes, eight boards, six assists, four steals, 26, though, in the second half, high-scoring half of his career. And he was just doing what he wanted to out there, even though it didn't result in a victory. But when you watch Melo have games like this, like what, what do we feel like that his season or his ceiling could be? He's coming off the All-Star year last year. He seems like he's gotten better. He looks like he plays the game much more at ease, like things are slowing down for him. What do we feel like his ceiling could be when it's all said and done? I think people ask if LaMelo can be 1A, the best player on a championship team. And I don't know if I would say he's 1A on a championship team right now. He's also only 21 years old. Right. And I think a lot of people bring up the fact that he is so young, but it feels younger than just 21 because – when you talk about his accolades already, mm-hmm. it's funny that the broadcast, whether it's Eric Collins and Del Curry, whether it's a national broadcast that just so happens to maybe call the Hornets game at that point, they say, yeah, you know, LaMelo in his career, he already has an all-star selection. He won rookie of the year. They're talking about him as if this was so long ago. And in reality, it's just all within the last couple of seasons. Plus, you're talking about someone who his rookie year missed some games because of a wrist injury. And then when he came back, those shooting numbers were really hurt. And then last year, he basically plays a full season. This year, certainly has not played a full season because of the multitude of injuries that he suffered so far. I think LaMelo can be an awesome player. I think give me LaMelo as your second best player if you're talking about championship. And I think he can be your best player if you're talking about LaMelo and some help getting past the first round of the playoffs. No doubt about that, in my opinion. But they have some help. I mean, or they're going to have to have some help in order to truly accomplish what they've always set out to do. And I go back to Mitch Kupchak, constantly talking about this at his press conferences. If we get to the postseason, we don't want to just settle for a four-game series and then get dropped. Once we get there, we want to find a way to contend. And I've always understood that way of thinking because 
I don't want to drop four games and then just go go on back home and never have had a shot to win the first round series. But they haven't put the pieces in place yet in order to help out LaMelo. So, yeah, I think the ceiling is very high. I like what you've seen from him as far as his aggression goes. I think he's starting to figure that out. But, Wes, I mean, you know as much as anybody, you put better players around LaMelo, then you'll get better games from LaMelo. And right now, as far as this season goes, it's just been really hard to do that with all the injuries and the talent in the first place. Yeah, you look at some of the things that he's done and – it gets overshadowed by the record and, and things of that nature, but he's the only player in the NBA this season to average 23 points, eight assists, and three three-pointers per game. Only five NBA players in history have met those thresholds over an entire season. You're talking about guys like Curry, Luka, Harden, Lillard, Trey Young. So, I mean, he's averaging almost, uh, he's averaging around 23 points per game, eight assists, and around four three-pointers per game. So, I mean, that's a nice stat line for a season. I think it shows his growth and maturity. And as far as how his game is progressing, I think that he could be a guy that, uh, you know, over the first, I think he could be a guy that could really go down as, you know, one of the greats of his era. Uh, He and Magic Johnson are the only two players that average 17, 6, and 6, 17, 6, and 6, and 1.5 steals over the first 100 games of their career. Like, that's nothing to sneeze at when you talk about uh, a young player being in a class with Magic Johnson for anything, and it's only you and him. So I think that when it's all said and done, I think LaMelo has a shot to be a multiple-time all-star. I'm talking maybe in the – that's interesting to pick how many all-star games. I would probably go in the 5 to 8 range. For him, yeah, I think that's possible for sure. I, I, I maybe would, more. I would set that as a standard. I think it's hurt him. It's hurting him this year that he probably won't make it this year. Um, but hopefully next year, if they can get back into the swing of things and be more competitive, that can help his cause. Go ahead. You're gonna say. Well, no, I I think popularity is gonna help him too, and and I think it's warranted if he can stay healthy, right? I mean, the the injuries have put him at a real disadvantage so far this season. And somebody texted in about LaMelo shooting. 704 number said, Melo was hot yesterday, but he can't shoot. His field goal percentage is only 39%. And that's a big thing for LaMelo. There's no doubt. Like, he's got to finish better at the rim. Um, you know, you're you're hoping that he can get stronger as his career goes on. And the NBA does a great job of putting weight on guys. You see it all the time. You have some outliers like KD. But I expect LaMelo to get stronger as his career goes on. But also, if you look at just effective field goal percentage, like the three-point percentage is good. 36 is is on the 28 games. 36, I guess, is average now. But we've seen him shoot 39 last year on a 75-game sample size. Like, yeah. to, to me, I thought... LaMelo was not going to be able to shoot at all in his career. And the fact that he comes in, whether it's the catch and shoot variety, pull up shots, he's been doing a lot better at that as the years have gone on. The problem is it it all kinds of get the analysis gets kind of muddied because you're trying to uh, look at his shot without the wrist injury, but that's been there. And and so I'm hoping that that can be 100% healed and he can feel really comfortable shooting the basketball. And so we'll see how it happens. But yeah, I, I have, I have a lot of faith in LaMelo being an excellent player for a long time. All right. So now turning the page, big NBA trade this weekend. We knew it was coming. I wasn't sure it was going to come as quick as it did. Oh, it happened very fast. But we had the Kyrie Irving trade. Dallas gets Kyrie Irving, Marquise Morris. Brooklyn receives Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith. 
2027 second round pick, 2029 first round pick, unprotected 2029 second round pick. So how does this trade affect the Hornets, if at all? There was never going to be a shot that they traded for Kyrie Irving, right? The only way they would get involved in a Kyrie Irving trade is if they were a part of a three-team deal. You grease the wheels. You try to salary match. You give somebody a second-round pick, whatever. You are just serving as a conduit to another team to allow said other team to get Kyrie Irving. But they were never going to trade for Kyrie. I mean, when we talked about it on Friday... We were all having a hard time trying to figure out what would make sense for this squad. Because if you go after Kyrie, then you're only trading for him for the rest of this season. I I just don't have enough faith that this team can get to a playoff berth or even a play-in berth at this point with Kyrie. And then he leaves and you give up assets to get Kyrie and then he's gone, right? But the way that this affects the Charlotte Hornets is now you're talking about the Lakers possibly being desperate because of LeBron James going to social media and say, maybe it's me. Like he's being sad on social media, right? He is putting it out there because he didn't get Kyrie Irving. And it's been well-documented that he's wanted some help and that he's wanted that front office to get rid of two first round picks. And I don't blame the Lakers for doing it, even though there were reports about them offering that up, but the Nets asked for more Lakers didn't want to give them everything. And apparently Joe Sy, the owner of the Nets was like, look, I don't want to give in to Kyrie's demands and allow him to go to the LA because that's what he wants. Trade him somewhere else. And I so, feel chipper. It's feisty. So you have a lot of drama behind the scenes and now he's going to Dallas. So if the Lakers are so desperate to give LeBron James the help that he so desperately wants, how much are they willing to give up for Terry Rozier? Who's been playing a lot better the last month and a half. Do you get him? Are you so much as to going after Gordon Hayward? I mean, you're talking about some salary matching there with Russell Westbrook, but I wonder if there's a team desperate enough to go after um, Terry Rozier. And the last thing is Phoenix too, because Phoenix is getting in the Kevin Durant sweepstakes if he's wanting to leave. I like that angle that you took as far as just the dominoes falling. Once Kyrie Irving got traded, it is going to be a desperate situation in Los Angeles, them trying to maybe appease LeBron, but I also think at the end of the day, they're not going to go outside of their means to do so. I think they've shown that. We don't think... I don't think LeBron's going to be there after this season, personally. So um, I'm not sure really at all how much is going to affect the Hornets, but we know that the report came out really at the end of our show on Bleacher Report. They talked about how the Hornets were going to trade all of their veteran players. So we should be expecting to hear a flurry of moves coming up uh, with this roster. The Lakers could be in play for one of them, so some of these deals may affect what teams are going to do you're going to say something. well yeah just if you look at phoenix and you play that angle a little bit more so than the lakers yeah per chris haynes over the weekend we heard that the phoenix suns apparently offered chris paul jay crowder and picks to brooklyn for kyrie irving mm. so the reason this is interesting is because of course you could be talking about chris paul some salary matching that takes place with Terry Rozier and somebody else, and you send them over to Phoenix. We already went down some of the contract stipulations for Chris Paul and how you can get out, right? This is You look at the payroll for Phoenix, and you're like, oh, my God, why would you bring Chris Paul's contract at that age? That's ridiculous. But there are ways out of it. So it's not fully guaranteed. You pay them, I don't know, like a third, something like that. I'd have to bring up the numbers in front of me again. But there are ways to make that happen, and it makes sense. For the Charlotte Hornets, especially if there's a pick attached to it, 
Because now the contracts change overnight in the NBA. One could be viewed as awesome, and then it changed into one of the worst contracts in the league in basically a two-week period, let alone the season that's already taken place for Chris Paul. So if you get a pick, you get like a Crowder, you get Paul. I don't know what would happen, but that's one. I. It's just going to be fascinating. Are we bringing your boy home, Wes, a, f- a fellow Wake Forest alum? Could you be bringing him home to the city of Charlotte? I do think that the chances of that have increased at least a little bit with Kyrie going to Dallas. It could be. And as we talked about before, I think that would be good for the locker room to have a guy like that in there that would bring a little bit of that nastiness in the um What's the word I'm looking for? Just a guy that just is not afraid to Intensity? mince words. Yeah, and a guy that's not afraid to mince words with people. He's going to say what needs to be said and maybe help some of those guys out. So we talked about him earlier in the show, the closure that he got on Saturday. But he also came out here to play the Charlotte Hornets, talking about one Paolo Bancaro. I was a huge fan of this guy. I got to see him up close and personal in Brooklyn last year. I was so impressed by him. Um, I did think one of the things – just for him is just having, well, last year, Duke having that that takeover mentality, just wanting to dominate guys. Well, since he's got to the NBA, he's been doing it, okay? And so I just wondered while watching the game yesterday why he isn't getting more hype and publicity, and I'm talking about one Paolo Bencaro. Yeah, I think for me, and maybe... On, I wasn't done doing my intro, okay? Let's... Uh... Pump the brakes a little bit. Seemed like the pause was there. No, no, no. Well, then tell us. You got some, you got some <laughs> mad interesting stuff. Go ahead and tell us what's up well, with no, the Well, no, I was just going to give you a little bit of uh, context before we went in. Second straight month, he's earned uh, Kia Ricky of the month. He's averaging 26, 20 points per game. Six Nobody boards, gives a damn. Uh, four assists anyway. Uh, but this guy, you know, he's had 20-plus games, 20-plus point games 27 times this year. Four 30-plus point games. Uh, the most of any rookie in the league this year, man. But he's just coming in. He's getting it done. Didn't shoot the ball well on Sunday, 6 of 20. But he was 10-11 from the free throw line. And I just think the way he's been coming in and just has acclimated to the NBA so quickly and being so dominant, normally with rookies, especially guys who are the number one pick, we see uh, them pretty much everywhere. And so I felt like he didn't necessarily get a lot of juice at Duke either. And now in the NBA – there hasn't been a lot of hype or pub about him, and I just wanted, you know, your thoughts on that. Well, yeah, I, I think with him at with him at Duke, I don't know, maybe it just it depends on who we follow. I feel like he's getting some love this year if you follow some NBA accounts, and the guy's been awesome right from the get-go, right. too. I mean, right as soon as he stepped onto an NBA court, what was it? I think he scored 20 points in his NBA debut, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. I think he gave you a stat line where he gave you something like 20, 10, and 5. And if you look at the NCAA tournament last year, Paolo was really good. In fact, the worst game he probably pay- played was against Arkansas, but he shot 50% from the field basically every single contest except for Arkansas. I did shoot 47 against North Carolina in that final loss. But I think that is is another reason as to why Paolo probably got the number one overall selection with the way that he finished and Chet Holmgren, Paolo, Jabari Smith. It was pretty much a three-way toss up as to who was going to be selected. Number one And Orlando was, did a, a phenomenal job of keeping the, the cards close to the vest. Yeah. I mean, we had no clue he was going to be the guy. And then eventually it breaks on draft night, kind of like the whole Baker Mayfield did, thing did with Cleveland when they selected number one overall. But yeah, man, I think a lot of people love what they're seeing from Paolo. And with it being a 33% chance that you got that right, because it was always going to be one of those three guys to be drafted number one overall, Orlando hit. 
I don't think there's any question. And I know we haven't seen Chet Holmgren play. That's fine. But you could also use that as evidence that Holmgren shouldn't have been the number one mm. overall guy. The fact that he did get injured. He isn't going to be playing this season. And Paolo, he looks awesome, man. I mean, the mobility, the size. And last thing, when we were talking about the draft last year, and everybody was looking at David Robinson, talking with those three players I just mentioned, everybody was losing their mind about how Holmgren was two inches taller than David Robinson. Like, goodness gracious, plus the athleticism. Man, were y'all not paying attention to Paolo being as tall as David? And big. That's Woo! the thing, too. When I got and to see handle- him in person, I said, man, this guy... He's got everything you want physically. Yeah, Chet being two inches taller in that mobile, for sure, let's pay attention to it. That's real. But Paolo at that size, with that mobility, with those handles, that passing skill, and he's, like, looking eye-to-eye with the Admiral. Yeah, man. Like, Paolo, that's crazy. And the fact that it's come to fruition here, once Orlando gets more help, they're going to be a problem. Because I would just think, too, when I'm saying this, I mean, like, as far as commercials and them hyping him up for, like, rising stars and and promotional aspects you don't really see him a ton like that as far as just the nba marketing him and i felt like a lot of times if a number one pick comes in and is playing as well as he is Mm -hmm. you're going to see him everywhere from a promotional standpoint that's really kind of what i was what i was getting yeah and and maybe orlando there were some magic truthers before the game or before the season they were hey watch out for orlando and it never really came to fruition like that because the rest of the conference was so good but there's a lot of talent Franz Wagner's awesome for that team. Paolo's very good. And so, you know, when you don't have Mo Bamba and Austin Rivers going at it, they're actually a fun little basketball team right. to watch. Now, I thought that was just 90s basketball. <laughs> but uh, let's see what type of magic Fitty has back there with a Fitty Flash. Well, you caught me off guard, West. Can we call thing- it Queen Fitty magic? Can we do that? Queen City, Queen Fitty. All right, yeah. I just thought I'd throw it out there. Sorry, Fitty. You don't have anything for us, Fitty? No, I've got something. I'm getting my music pulled up. Uh, uh, Panther fans will be excited to know that Tom Brady will not begin his broadcasting career at Fox until 2024. So you do have at least one more year guaranteed of Greg Olson being on the number one crew. I think they should explore just going back to a three-man booth like like they used to have in the old days with Collinsworth, Aikman, and Joe Buck with Kevin Burkhardt, Greg Olson, and Tom Brady. He announced that on the herd just a while ago. But my my main uh, storyline is still NBA-related. The NBA and the NBA uh, Players Association are expected to extend an early opt-out deadline on Wednesday, allowing the league and the union to continue negotiations on a a new long-term collecting bargaining uh, deal uh, as as the current CBA does expire at the end of next season. What do you think will be the the, the, the main asking point from the player side of things in oh. the new CBA? Because I think it should be eliminating back-to-backs altogether, even that means you start the season in early October. Yeah, I would say so, too. I can't really think of much else they would ask for because the money's guaranteed. The main thing I would think will probably be the whole back-to-back thing in the schedule. And I think also uh, to go off of that, if I had to pick something different, I would say lowering the number of games. Yeah, I I think back-to-back probably makes sense. And if you turn it into an incentive for NBA owners, then you could probably agree to something close to close to the goal from the players, right? Because part of the problem is that guys are going to be sitting out on road games. It's the first time, let's say, a Western Conference team visits the Eastern Conference. It's the only time they travel to that city. And then Kawhi Leonard, just because he's become the poster child of load management, let's say he misses a game, but somebody loves Kawhi, then 
it sucks. It's heartbreaking for especially a little kid, and it's just unfortunate for an adult that doesn't get to see their favorite player. And so that that's probably something that both sides are going to try to figure out. Yeah, it stinks, man. So when we come back, we won't stink. I promise you that. And we're going to talk more about this Panthers defense and how much impact Coach Everett can have. It's the Weston Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. It's Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Joe Ovius of 99.9 The Fan up in Raleigh. He'll be joining us in the next segment to talk more Carolina Duke basketball. You can text in 704-570-9610. I did want to read some text. It's been a while since we got to it here on the Garage Door Guru text line. 704-570-9610. 704 number road in. Walker, this is why I have absolutely no interest in the NBA emphasizing individual players over the team. I guess that was us talking about Paolo Boncaro. We're just, good Lord. we're just trying to tell you the truth, man. Paolo is good. Doesn't mean you can be a Magic fan if you want to. You don't All have right. to. We're just telling you that Paolo has been awesome. Carolina Crazy wrote in, Chris Paul could go hit all of our players in the New York and you know what if he comes here. He'll never shake that reputation, man. Nope. Yeah, that's, that's what Chris, I mean, because it was so bizarre. We haven't seen anything like that since then. Mm-hmm. I mean, we not like that, except for, I guess, if you want to count Dylan Brooks and what he did in this yeah, passing yeah, game yeah, against yeah. Donovan Mitchell. But it wasn't that blatant. I mean, it was it, it was. But Chris Paul, you could see it where you couldn't play it off as just, hey, I'm rolling over. And then my arm just inadvertently swung into it. It was Chris Paul literally going that way. And Julius Hodge, it's hilarious to watch him talk about Chris Paul on Twitter. Have you ever seen Julius Hodge talk about him? Just still does not like the guy. For understandable reasons, 100% of the way through. But him talking about Chris Paul on Twitter, it's hilarious. What would you think about the Austin Rivers fight? Well, I, I don't know what was even said between those two. Mm-hmm. But Austin Rivers, of course, was not a fan of him watching him play at Duke. And so Mo Bamba, Mo Bamba is just one of those NBA players I'm never going to be able to quit. It's like he's always, hey, next year, watch out. Mo Bamba, that's when he's going to dominate the scene. Um, I just thought it was hilarious how Austin acts like he runs Orlando. <laughs> and I know he's from Winter Park. I get that. Yeah. But he acts like he runs Orlando. Hey, they don't love you like that. Th- th- like you think down there in uh, in, uh, in Orlando, Mo. So what did you think of the fight? I thought when I saw it, everybody was making a big deal about it. And I looked at it and I said, this is 90s basketball, in my opinion. That's all it was to me. That was Heat Knicks game one mm-hmm. at that. Like beginning of the series, a tone setter. So I didn't think it was that big of a deal. No, I, I thought it was I thought it was funny. Like Mo Bamba, I guess yeah. threw a punch, and then Austin said, "Hey, it took five of your guys." And he did. He one. did get on top of him. Mo did. No, I'm oh. talking about Austin Rivers. Oh, uh, got on in the pileup. Yeah, he had him. Uh, he said he could have choked him out. Would you say Would you say that Austin Rivers won, or Mo won, or was there a winner in that fight? I think uh, Austin Rivers was in a position of. Uh, he was advan- he was in an advantageous position okay. being on top of him. He could have choked him out if he wanted to. I don't know if Austin's <laughs> taking MMA classes or what or if he's doing training, but 
he was in a position to do some damage. I mean, yeah, that's. I guess that's true. Maybe he would have choked him out. It sounds like something that James Johnson would do, another Wake Forest player. Ooh, you don't want to start anything I, with him. You're 100% right. I don't. Yeah, I think Austin Rivers, though, I liked what he said after the fact. I think he was very self-aware, and he was very real about NBA players and fighting. He's like, man, I'm not trying to break a hand. And he's like, nobody's out there trying to fight. He's like, that's not what type of time I'm on. And well, J- I respected that. Jalen Rose, he calls it, hold me back. Yeah. Hold me back. Right. He and said, I'm not really, on that type of time. There's really not any reason to uh, hold you back because there's not going to be a fight there. Right. A bagel guy asked if you've ever been hitting the biscuits during a game before. No. Zero times. I have not. Thank goodness. I feel like that would that could happen. You want to change that on the radio? I mean, you know, if you want to get choked out. Yeah, I was about to say, I would I would go with uh, with Wes in that. I, I, you're going to throw it my way. You're going to say that Walker needs to be thrown through a table or something like that, I'm sure. I was going to volunteer you to be the one to hit him in the biscuits and just see what happens. I oh. I don't need to be doing that. I'm the one that said just grab him in the biscuits. <laughs> He doesn't know what that. I don't he know probably, what you're talking about. Yeah, 704-570-9610. Feel free to text in and join the conversation. And a lot of people are kind of texting in about the NBA. DJ Skinner, he did say he hated Paolo at Duke, but he is absolutely a beast in the NBA. And that's what I want for the Hornets, of course. Because here we are with a possibility of getting the number one overall selection. Mm-hmm. And Wimby is a generational talent. And if they don't get the number one overall selection, Scoot Henderson, I really like probably more than you from what I gathered. Yeah. And maybe is it I the mean, fit I think he's a good player? player, man, but I just think a small guard, I just don't have a very high pin of little guards leading teams to championships. And I think if he comes here, the Hornets need a big wing or a big that's going to come in and do some damage more so than another little small guard that's going to come out there. I mean, I've watched his footage. You know, he, he shoots it okay, you know, because that's my thing, too. I think it's like awesome. if, if they're going to get a, a small guard with that pick, I want a Damian Lillard-type shooting prowess. You know what I'm saying? I think they need a shooter if they're going to get a guy that's that small, not a guy that's going to drive and dunk and you, know. you say that like <laughs> because you it's, your because, because and like I said I'm, I'm on that Colin Cowherd time with with the small guards. The more you look at them, like I said, when you look at the John Morant, you look at the Derrick Roses, the Stevie Francis's, and all those guys over the years. You know, Iverson was the special one that could take a team to the NBA Finals. But with those other guys, we don't see that. The uh, those guys they drive to the paint a lot. They're not built as far as just taking the punishment. And then they end up on an injury report every other week for three to four games, missing something. And it's like, yo, get a jump shot, get a three point ball so that you don't have to be on it. Lillard gets hurt a lot as well. So, I mean, I think for the Hornets, they need somebody with some size that's going to come in and make an impact, not a 6'2 jitterbug. Well, I, I mean, there's no argument. Wimby's the number one overall pick. You just can't convince me otherwise. Despite or even a 6'8, six, 6'9 six, wing. Well, yeah, and I, there's a Cam Whitmore out there. Different mock drafts have him either going three or eight, but I would not mind at all because Scoot Henderson brings this team a lot of the stuff that they don't have. They mm-hmm. they don't have rim pressure on this squad. Like DSJ is kind of the guy that does that, but he's coming off the bench and he can't shoot threes right yeah. now. He, he finally got it going a little bit, yeah. but offensively, only the last three games have we seen him really contribute in that area as far as scoring. LaMelo, you know, trying to get to the line, but also he's, ho- he's hoisting up like 12 three-pointers right now. I, and he I shoots think, a lot of floaters. He didn't want a lot of contact in there. Yeah, and, and I think you He's had, not getting any calls. Well, he wasn't. And then I think you see <laughs> a couple of these games where he actually is starting to drive a little bit more, but still, it's a shooter. Like, LaMelo is a, a shooting point guard where if Scoot Henderson, you have that 
that nice balance where I, I think LaMelo is awesome alongside another ball handler. I mean, especially with his ability to pass, but also shoot off of the catch. I just really like it. But to me, if we're just going to bring this back to the number one overall pick that would eventually go to Wimby, I think this weekend it showed you that if you are a tankinista, the Hornets are going to be just fine losing a lot of these games. Like they don't have to make any of these trades. You know, Terry Rozier, as well as he's playing, honestly, the last month and a half, you're still losing to Detroit as as well as even LaMelo has played. and Orlando back to back. Right, right. So at, at first I thought, all right, you know, you're you're going to win a little too much. Right. <laughs> and then you're going to get out of the top three spots in the selection process in the lottery. But, man, when you lose four straight, but really it's the last two. It's the one against Clown Detroit. Show. It's the one against Orlando. Those weren't good performances. And, and Steve Clifford talked about it after both of those games. All right, speaking of basketball, let's talk about North Carolina, Duke. The heels fall to the Blue Devils, 63-57. to We'll talk about all of that with Joe Ovius of 99.9 The Fan. Joining us next, Weston Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ.